Chapter Fifty Two of the Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Deborah Lynn. The Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. Chapter Fifty Two, involving a serious change in the Weller family and the untimely downfall of Mister Stiggins. Considering it a matter of delicacy to abstain from introducing either Bob Sawyer or Ben Allen to the young couple. Until they were fully prepared to expect them, and wishing to spare Arabella's feelings as much as possible, Mr. Pickwick proposed that he and Sam should alight in the neighbourhood of the Georgian Vulture, and that the two young men should, for the present, take up their quarters elsewhere. To this they very readily agreed, and the proposition was accordingly acted upon. Mr. Ben Allen and Mr. Bob Sawyer betaking themselves to a sequestered pot shop on the remotest confines of the borough. Behind the bar door of which their names had, in other days, very often appeared at the head of long and complex calculations worked in white chalk. Dear me, Mister Weller," said the pretty housemaid, meeting Sam at the door. "Dear me, I wish it was, my dear," replied Sam, dropping behind to let his master get out of hearing. "What a sweet-looking creetur you are, Mary!" "Lot, Mister Weller, what nonsense you do talk," said Mary. "Oh, don't, Mister Weller." Don't what, my dear? Said Sam. Why that? Replied the pretty housemaid. Lord, do get along with you. Thus admonishing him, the pretty housemaid pushed Sam against the wall, declaring that he had tumbled her cap and put her hair quite out of curl, and prevented what I was going to say. Besides, added Mary, there's a letter been waiting here for you four days. You hadn't gone away half an hour when it came, and more than that, it's got immediate on the outside. There is it, my love," inquired Sam. "I took care of it for you, or I dare say it would have been lost long before this," replied Mary. "There, take it. It's more than you deserve." With these words, after many pretty little coquettish doubts and fears and wishes that she might not have lost it, Mary produced the letter from behind the nicest little muslin tucker possible and handed it to Sam, who thereupon kissed it with much gallantry and devotion. My goodness me," said Mary, adjusting the tucker and feigning unconsciousness. "You seem to have grown very fond of it all at once." To this, Mister Weller only replied by a wink, the intense meaning of which no description could convey the faintest idea of, and sitting himself down beside Mary on a window seat, opened the letter and glanced at the contents. "Hullo!" exclaimed Sam. "What's all this?" "Nothing the matter, I hope," said Mary, peeping over his shoulder. Bless them eyes of yourn," said Sam, looking up. "Never mind my eyes. You had much better read your letter," said the pretty housemaid. And as she said so, she made the eyes twinkle with such slyness and beauty that they were perfectly irresistible. Sam refreshed himself with a kiss and read as follows: Marcus Granby, Dorkin, Wednesday. My dear Samuel, I am very sorry to have the pleasure of being a bearer of ill news. Your mother-in-law, court cold, consequence of imprudently setting too long on the damp grass in the rain, a hearing of a shepherd who warn't able to leave off till late at night, owing to his having bound hisself up with brandy and water, and not being able to stop hisself till he got a little sober, which took a many hours to do. The doctor says that if she'd swallowed warm brandy and water arterwards instead of afore, she mightn't have been no vus. 
her veals was immediately greased and everything done to set her a-goin as could be invented your father had hopes as she would have worked round as usual but just as she was a turnin the corner my boy she took the wrong road and vent down hill with a velocity you never see and notwithstanding that the drag was put on directly by the medical man it warn't of no use at all for she paid the last pike at twenty minutes afore six o'clock yesterday evening having done the journey wery much under the regular time which perhaps was partly owing to her having taken in wery little luggage by the way your father says that if you vill come and see me sammy he vill take it as a wery great favour for i am wery lonely samoval n b he vill have it spelt that vay which i say ain't right and as there is sich a many things to settle he is sure your governor won't object of course he vill not sammy for i knows him better so he sends his duty in which i join and am samoval infernally yours tony veller what a incomprehensible letter said sam who's to know what it means with all this heing and eying it ain't my father's writin except this here signature in print letters that's his perhaps he got somebody to write it for him and signed it himself afterwards said the pretty housemaid stop a minute replied sam running over the letter again and pausing here and there to reflect as he did so you've hit it the gentleman as wrote it was a tellin all about the misfortin in a proper vay and then my father comes a lookin over him and complicates the whole concern by puttin his oar in that's just the wery sort of thing he'd do you're right mary my dear having satisfied himself on this point sam read the letter all over once more and appearing to form a clear notion of its contents for the first time ejaculated thoughtfully as he folded it up and so the poor creetur's dead i'm sorry for it she warn't a bad disposed woman if them shepherds had let her alone i'm wery sorry for it mr weller uttered these words in so serious a manner that the pretty housemaid cast down her eyes and looked very grave howsever said sam putting the letter in his pocket with a gentle sigh it was to be and was as the old lady said arter she'd married the footman can't be helped now can it mary mary shook her head and sighed too i must apply to the hemperer for leave of absence said sam mary sighed again the letter was so very affecting good-bye said sam good-bye rejoined the pretty housemaid turning her head away well shake hands won't you said sam the pretty housemaid put out a hand which although it was a housemaid's was a very small one and rose to go i shan't be wery long away said sam you're always away said mary giving her head the slightest possible toss in the air you no sooner come mr weller than you go again mr weller drew the household beauty closer to him and entered upon a whispering conversation which had not proceeded far when she turned her face round and condescended to look at him again when they parted it was somehow or other indispensably necessary for her to go to her room and arrange the cap and curls before she could think of presenting herself to her mistress which preparatory ceremony she went off to perform bestowing many nods and smiles on sam over the banisters as she tripped upstairs i shan't be away more than a day or two sir at the furthest said sam when he had communicated to mr pickwick the intelligence of his father's loss as long as may be necessary sam replied mr pickwick you have my full permission to remain sam bowed 
"'You will tell your father, Sam, that if I can be of any assistance to him in his present situation, "'I shall be most willing and ready to lend him any aid in my power,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'Thank you, sir,' rejoined Sam. "'I'll mention it, sir.' And with some expressions of mutual goodwill and interest, master and man separated. It was just seven o'clock when Samuel Weller, alighting from the box of a stage-coach which passed through Dorking, stood within a few hundred yards of the Marquis of Granby. It was a cold, dull evening. The little street looked dreary and dismal, and the mahogany countenance of the noble and gallant Marquis seemed to wear a more sad and melancholy expression than it was wont to do, as it swung to and fro, creaking mournfully in the wind. The blinds were pulled down, and the shutters partly closed. Of the knot of loungers that usually collected about the door, not one was to be seen. The place was silent and desolate. Seeing nobody of whom he could ask any preliminary questions, Sam walked softly in, and glancing round, he quickly recognized his parent in the distance. The widower was seated at a small round table in the little room behind the bar, smoking a pipe, with his eyes intently fixed upon the fire. The funeral had evidently taken place that day, for attached to his hat, which he still retained on his head, was a hat-band measuring about a yard and a half in length, which hung over the top rail of the chair and streamed negligently down. Mr. Weller was in a very abstracted and contemplative mood. Notwithstanding that Sam called him by name several times, he still continued to smoke with the same fixed and quiet countenance, and was only roused ultimately by his son's placing the palm of his hand on his shoulder. "'Sammy,' said Mr. Weller, "'you're welcome.' "'I've been a-callin' to you half a dozen times,' said Sam, hanging his hat on a peg. "'But you didn't hear me.' "'No, Sammy,' replied Mr. Weller, again looking thoughtfully at the fire. "'I was in a referee, Sammy.' "'What about?' inquired Sam, drawing his chair up to the fire. "'In a referee, Sammy,' replied the elder Mr. Weller, "'regarding her, Samuel.' Here Mr. Weller jerked his head in the direction of Dorking Churchyard, in mute explanation that his words referred to the late Mrs. Weller. "'I was a-thinkin', Sammy,' said Mr. Weller, eyeing his son with great earnestness over his pipe, as if to assure him that, however extraordinary and incredible the declaration might appear, it was nevertheless calmly and deliberately uttered. "'I was a-thinkin', Sammy, that upon the whole I was very sorry she was gone.' "'Vell, and so you ought to be,' replied Sam. Mr. Weller nodded his acquiescence in the sentiment, and again fastening his eyes on the fire, shrouded himself in a cloud and mused deeply. "'Those was very sensible observations as she made, Sammy,' said Mr. Weller, driving the smoke away with his hand after a long silence. "'What observations?' inquired Sam. "'Them as she made arter she was took ill,' replied the old gentleman. "'What was they?' "'Something to this here effect. "'Veller,' she says, "'I'm afeard I've not done by you quite what I ought to have done. "'You're a very kind-hearted man, "'and I might have made your home more comfortabler.' "'I begin to see now,' she says, "'but it's too late, "'that if a married woman wishes to be religious, "'she should begin with discharging her duties at home "'and making them as is about her cheerful and happy, "'and that while she goes to church or chapel or what not, "'at all proper times, "'she should be very careful not to convert this sort of thing "'into a excuse for idleness or self-indulgence. "'I have done this,' she says, 
and I've wasted time and substance on them as has done it more than me. But I hope when I'm gone, Veller, that you'll think on me as I was afore I knowed them people, and as I really was by nature. Susan, says I, I was took up very short by this Samoval. I won't deny it, my boy. Susan, I says, you've been a very good wife to me altogether. Don't say nothing at all about it. Keep a good heart, my dear, and you'll live to see me punch that air Stiggins's head yet. She smiled at this Samoval, said the old gentleman, stifling a sigh with his pipe. But she died arter all. Well, said Sam, venturing to offer a little homely consolation, after the lapse of three or four minutes, consumed by the old gentleman in slowly shaking his head from side to side and solemnly smoking, Well, Governor, we must all come to it one day or another. So we must, Sammy, said Mr. Weller, the elder. There's a providence in it all, said Sam. Of course there is, replied his father, with a nod of grave approval. What'd become of the undertakers without it, Sammy? Lost in the immense field of conjecture opened by this reflection, the elder Mr. Weller laid his pipe on the table and stirred the fire with a meditative visage. While the old gentleman was thus engaged, a very buxom-looking cook, dressed in mourning, who had been bustling about in the bar, glided into the room, and bestowing many smirks of recognition upon Sam, silently stationed herself at the back of his father's chair, and announced her presence by a slight cough, the which, being disregarded, was followed by a louder one. "'Hollo!' said the elder Mr. Weller, dropping the poker as he looked round, and hastily drew his chair away. "'What's the matter now?' "'Have a cup of tea, there's a good soul,' replied the buxom female coaxingly. "'I won't!' replied Mr. Weller, in a somewhat boisterous manner. "'I'll see you!' Mr. Weller hastily checked himself, and added in a low tone, Further fussed. Oh, dear, dear, how adversity does change people, said the lady, looking upwards. It's the only thing twixt this and the doctor as shall change my condition, muttered Mr. Weller. I really never saw a man so cross, said the buxom female. Never mind, it's all for my own good, which is the reflection with which the penitent schoolboy comforted his feelings, then they flogged him, rejoined the old gentleman. The buxom female shook her head with a compassionate and sympathizing air, and, appealing to Sam, inquired whether his father really ought not to make an effort to keep up, and not give way to that lowness of spirits. "'You see, Mr. Samuel,' said the buxom female, "'as I was telling him yesterday, he will feel lonely. He can't expect but what he should, sir, but he should keep up a good heart, because, dear me, I'm sure we all pity his loss, and are ready to do anything for him.' "'and there's no situation in life so bad, Mr. Samuel, that it can't be mended, "'which is what a very worthy person said to me when my husband died.' "'Here the speaker, putting her hand before her mouth, "'coughed again and looked affectionately at the elder Mr. Weller. "'As I don't require any of your conversation just now, Mum, "'will you have the goodness to retire?' inquired Mr. Weller, "'in a grave and steady voice.' "'Well, Mr. Weller,' said the buxom female, "'I'm sure I only spoke to you out of kindness.' "'Wery likely, mum,' replied Mr. Weller. "'Samoval, show the lady out, and shut the door after her.' This hint was not lost upon the buxom female, for she at once left the room and slammed the door behind her, upon which Mr. Weller, senior, falling back in his chair in a violent perspiration, said, "'Sammy, if I was to stop here alone one week,' "'Only one week, my boy. "'That air ooman'd marry me by force and violence afore it was over. 
"'What? Is she so very fond on you?' inquired Sam. "'Fond?' replied his father. "'I can't keep her away from me. "'If I was locked up in a fireproof chest with a patent Brahmin, "'she'd find means to get at me, Sammy. "'What a thing it is to be so sought arter observed Sam, smiling. "'I don't take no pride out in it, Sammy,' replied Mr. Weller, "'poking the fire vehemently. "'It's a horrid situation. "'I'm actually drove out of house and home by it. "'The breath was scarcely out of your poor mother-in-law's body. "'Then one old woman sends me a pot of jam, "'and another a pot of jelly, "'and another brews a blessed large jug of chamomile tea "'that she brings in with her own hands.' Mr. Weller paused with an aspect of intense disgust, and, looking round, added in a whisper, "'They was all widders, Sammy, all on em, except the chamomile tea vun, as was a single young lady of fifty-three.' Sam gave a comical look in reply, and the old gentleman, having broken an obstinate lump of coal, with a countenance expressive of as much earnestness and malice as if it had been the head of one of the widows last mentioned, said— "'In short, Sammy, I feel that I ain't safe anywheres but on the box.' "'How are you safer there than anywheres else?' interrupted Sam. "'Cause a coachman's a privileged individual,' replied Mr. Weller, looking fixedly at his son. "'Cause a coachman may do without suspicion what other men may not. "'Cause a coachman may be on the wary amicablest terms with eighty mile of females, "'and yet nobody think that he ever means to marry any one among em, "'And what other man can say the same, Sammy?' "'Well, there's something in that,' said Sam. "'If your governor had been a coachman,' reasoned Mr. Weller, "'do you suppose as that ere jury ud ever ha convicted him? "'Supposing it possible as the matter could have gone to that extremity, "'they dustn't ha done it.' "'Why not?' said Sam, rather disparagingly. "'Why not?' rejoined Mr. Weller. "'Cause it ud ha gone again their consciences.' A regular coachman's a sort of connectin' link betwixt singleness and matrimony, and every practicable man knows it. What? You mean they're general favorites, and nobody takes advantage on em, perhaps? said Sam. His father nodded. How would ever come to that air pass? resumed the parent Weller. I can't say. Why it is that long stage coachmen possess such insinuations, and is always looked up to, adored, I may say, "'By every young woman in every town he works through, I don't know. "'I only know that so it is. "'It's a regulation of nature. "'A dispensary, as your poor mother-in-law used to say. "'A dispensation,' said Sam, correcting the old gentleman. "'Wery good, Samoval. "'A dispensation, if you like it better,' returned Mr. Weller. "'I call it a dispensary, and it's always writ up so, "'at the places where they gives you physic for nothing in your own bottles, that's all.' With these words Mr. Weller refilled and relighted his pipe, and once more summoning up a meditative expression of countenance, continued as follows. Therefore, my boy, as I do not see the advisability of stopping here to be married whether I want to or not, and as at the same time I do not wish to separate myself from them interested members of society altogether, I have come to the determination of driving the safety and putting up once more at the Bell Savage, "'Vitch is my natural-born element, Sammy.' "'And what's to become of the business?' inquired Sam. "'The business, Samoval replied the old gentleman. "'Goodville, stock, and fixtures will be sold by private contract, "'and out of the money two hundred pound, "'agreeable to a request of your mother-in-law's to me, "'a little afore she died, will be invested in your name in—' 
"'What do you call them things again?' "'What things?' inquired Sam. "'Them things as is always a-goin' up and down in the city.' "'Omnibuses?' suggested Sam. "'Nonsense,' replied Mr. Weller. "'Them things as is always a-fluctuatin' and gettin' theirselves involved somehow or another with the national debt and the checkers bill and all that.' "'Oh, the funds,' said Sam. "'Ah!' rejoined Mr. Weller. "'The funds.' Two hundred pounds of the money is to be invested for you, Samuel, in the funds. Four and a half per cent. Reduced counsel, Sammy. Very kind of the old lady to think of me, said Sam, and I'm very much obliged to her. The rest will be invested in my name, continued the elder Mr. Weller, and when I'm took off the road it'll come to you, so take care you don't spend it all at once, my boy, and mind that no widder gets an inkling of your fortin or you're done. Having delivered this warning, Mr. Weller resumed his pipe with a more serene countenance, the disclosure of these matters appearing to have eased his mind considerably. "'Somebody's a-tappin' at the door,' said Sam. "'Let em tap,' replied his father with dignity. Sam acted upon the direction. There was another tap, and another, and then a long row of taps, upon which Sam inquired why the tapper was not admitted. "'Hush!' whispered Mr. Weller with apprehensive looks. "'Don't take no notice on em, Sammy. "'It's one of the widders, p'raps.' "'No notice being taken of the taps, "'the unseen visitor, after a short lapse, "'ventured to open the door and peep in. "'It was no female head that was thrust in "'at the partially opened door, "'but the long black locks and red face of Mr. Stiggins. "'Mr. Weller's pipe fell from his hands. "'The reverend gentleman gradually opened the door "'by almost imperceptible degrees, until the aperture was just wide enough to admit of the passage of his lank body, when he glided into the room and closed it after him with great care and gentleness. Turning towards Sam, and raising his hands and eyes in token of the unspeakable sorrow with which he regarded the calamity that had befallen the family, he carried the high-backed chair to his old corner by the fire, and seating himself on the very edge, drew forth a brown pocket-handkerchief and applied the same to his optics. While this was going forward, the elder Mr. Weller sat back in his chair with his eyes wide open, his hands planted on his knees, and his whole countenance expressive of absorbing and overwhelming astonishment. Sam sat opposite him in perfect silence, waiting with eager curiosity for the termination of the scene. Mr. Stiggins kept the brown pocket-handkerchief before his eyes for some minutes, moaning decently meanwhile, and then, mastering his feelings by a strong effort, put it in his pocket and buttoned it up. After this he stirred the fire. After that he rubbed his hands and looked at Sam. "'Oh, my young friend,' said Mr. Stiggins, breaking the silence in a very low voice, "'here's a sorrowful affliction.' Sam nodded very slightly. "'For the man of wrath, too,' added Mr. Stiggins, "'it makes a vessel's heart bleed.' Mr. Weller was overheard by his son to murmur something relative to making a vessel's nose bleed, but Mr. Stiggins heard him not. "'Do you know, young man,' whispered Mr. Stiggins, drawing his chair closer to Sam, "'whether she has left Emmanuel anything?' "'Who's he?' inquired Sam. "'The chapel,' replied Mr. Stiggins. "'Our chapel, our fold, Mr. Samuel. "'She hasn't left the fold nothing, nor the shepherd nothing, nor the animals nothing.' said Sam decisively, nor the dogs neither. Mr. Stiggins looked slyly at Sam, glanced at the old gentleman, who was sitting with his eyes closed as if asleep, and drawing his chair still nearer, said, "'Nothing for me, Mr. Samuel?' Sam shook his head. 
"'I think there's something,' said Stiggins, turning as pale as he could turn. "'Consider, Mr. Samuel, no little token?' "'Not so much as the birth of that ere old umbrella o' yourn,' replied Sam. "'Perhaps,' said Mr. Stiggins hesitatingly, after a few moments' deep thought, "'perhaps she recommended me to the care of the man of wrath, Mr. Samuel?' "'I think that's very likely from what he said,' rejoined Sam. "'He was a-speaking about you just now.' "'Was he, though?' exclaimed Miss Stiggins, brightening up. "'Ah, he's changed, I dare say. "'We might live very comfortably together now, Mr. Samuel, eh? "'I could take care of his property when you are away. "'Good care, you see.' Heaving a long-drawn sigh, Mr. Stiggins paused for a response. Sam nodded, and Mr. Weller the elder gave vent to an extraordinary sound which— being neither a groan nor a grunt, nor a gasp nor a growl, seemed to partake in some degree of the character of all four. Mr. Stiggins, encouraged by this sound, which he understood to betoken remorse or repentance, looked about him, rubbed his hands, wept, smiled, wept again, and then, walking softly across the room to a well-remembered shelf in one corner, took down a tumbler, and with great deliberation put four lumps of sugar in it. Having got thus far, he looked about him again, and sighed grievously. With that, he walked softly into the bar, and presently returning with the tumbler half full of pineapple rum, advanced to the kettle which was singing gaily on the hob, mixed his grog, stirred it, sipped it, sat down, and taking a long and hearty pull at the rum and water, stopped for breath. The elder Mr. Weller, who still continued to make various strange and uncouth attempts to appear asleep, offered not a single word during these proceedings, but when Stiggins stopped for breath, he darted upon him, and snatching the tumbler from his hand, threw the remainder of the rum and water in his face, and the glass itself into the grate. Then, seizing the reverend gentleman firmly by the collar, he suddenly fell to kicking him most furiously, accompanying every application of his top boot to Mr. Stiggins's person, with sundry violent and incoherent anathemas upon his limbs, eyes, and body. "'Sammy,' said Mr. Weller, "'put my hat on tight for me.' Sam dutifully adjusted the hat with a long hat-band more firmly on his father's head, and the old gentleman— resuming his kicking with greater agility than before, tumbled with Mr. Stiggins through the bar and through the passage, out at the front door, and so into the street, the kicking continuing the whole way, and increasing in vehemence, rather than diminishing, every time the top boot was lifted. It was a beautiful and exhilarating sight to see the red-nosed man writhing in Mr. Weller's grasp, and his whole frame quivering with anguish, as kick followed kick in rapid succession. It was a still more exciting spectacle to behold Mr. Weller, after a powerful struggle, immersing Mr. Stiggins's head in a horse-trough full of water, and holding it there until he was half suffocated. "'There,' said Mr. Weller, throwing all his energy into one most complicated kick, as he at length permitted Mr. Stiggins to withdraw his head from the trough. "'Send any vun of them lazy shepherds here, and I'll pound him to a jelly first, and drown him arterwards.' "'Sammy, help me in and fill me a small glass of brandy. "'I'm out of breath, my boy.'" End of chapter 52